Hello and welcome to Theta Project, a podcast where we hear from thinkers and doers in a variety of fields to find out how progressives can up their game. I'm your host, Meron Kalili. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when your country is holding the biggest trial of a Nazi party since Nuremberg and the media can't be trusted to cover it properly? Now, while some may rush off to hold marches or write angry letters, my guest today did something quite different. He helped organise a grassroots journalism operation to cover the trial day by day. His name is Antonis Bouyas, the country is Greece, and the party in question is the infamous Golden Dawn, once Greece's third largest political force. Adonis is what I would call a fire-in-the-belly activist. He's passionate, militant, but he's also very strategic and driven by results. We did this interview in March 2020, just before all the coronavirus craziness started. We talk about the rise and fall of Golden Dawn, the project and the media failures that made it necessary, how to measure impact, and the challenge of trying to remain impartial in the face of neo-Nazi ideology. I really enjoyed this conversation. Adonis is a rare breed, very inspiring, and he shifted my views a bit on how we label things that we dislike. If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is hello at thetaproject.co and the show notes you can find at www.thetaproject.co. Okay, let's get to it. My name is Antonis Bugas. Uh, I'm also known as Zipoptomusi in the Greek social media landscape. I do digital communications, grassroots research and journalism. We are doing a project about the Golden Dawn uh, trial called uh, Golden Dawn Watch. And uh, the the major purpose of it is to disseminate uh, information and broadcast what's going on in the trial day by day. It's a trial that goes on for five, uh, almost five years now. We are talking about a criminal organization trial. Uh, Golden Dawn is a far-right Nazi party that uh, used to be in the Greek uh, parliament up to the last elections of uh, 2019. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of the Golden Dawn party in Greece? They existed in the Greek scene since the beginning of 1980. They were mostly uh, skinheads, like a club, in a way, like a secret club. They began uh, their presence in the streets during the mid-80s with attacks in communists and anarchists. And then uh, during the beginning of the 90s, when we had a huge influx of uh, migrants from Albania, they formated the anti-migrant platform, which eventually, in, in 2012, along with the memoranda in Greece and the financial crisis and so on, gave them the chance to participate in the elections and uh, go into the Greek uh, parliament. Just to be clear, when we're talking about memoranda, we're talking about the very harsh, uh, destructive austerity measures that Greece had to implement. Yeah. And they were, if I'm not mistaken, in 2012, they became the third largest political force with uh, 7% of the vote. 
Yes, unfortunately, that anti-memoranda and anti-migration platform sounded uh, attractive to a, a small but important percentage of our fellow citizens in Greece. Do they self-identify as a neo-Nazi party or how would they term themselves? They label themselves populist nationalists. They try to create an image like uh, Le Pen's uh, National Front in France or afterwards uh, Salvini's coalition. But a few of us that were watching Golden Dawn since the end of 90s and the beginning of 2000, we knew that we had to do with a national socialistic group. But they, they knew that Nazi ideology was something strange for most of the Greeks because we fought in the Second World War, we had lots of victims. We saw during the trial all the evidence proving our notion of uh, Golden Dawn as a Nazi party. People taking oaths under the Wehrmacht flag, people having swastika tattoos. We saw people following the leader as the Führer. What went wrong for Golden Dawn to make them end up in a five-year trial? Golden Dawn based their political positioning on acts of violence perpetrated by people that were part of their political organization. We saw an escalation of political violence in the streets with the, the signature and the stamp of Golden Dawn, because they were wearing uniforms, they were uh, waving flags, they had shields. We had several attacks, attempted murders, arsons, uh, attacks on migrants, attacks on uh, far-left uh, organizations. The most known case was the murder of uh, rap musician Pavlos Fisas. The killer was a member of a local chapter of Golden Dawn and the people that assisted him were people that were also members of the same chapter. So all of these got together in a huge case file and they were indicted in uh, 2014 with charges on uh, or participating in administrating a criminal organization and they were indicted in a trial that is still on. This trial is coming to a close presumably in the next couple of months. I mean, we're speaking now in March 2020. But if I understand correctly, you would expect that the news of this trial and information of this trial would be quite widespread, that the public would be very interested in the progress of the trial. However, the media landscape in Greece is quite particular, is it not? Could you elaborate a little bit further on that? Well, of course, the media landscape in Greece is not so liberal as we would like it to be. First of all, it's been concentrated in the hands of few. But the thing with Golden Dawn and the thing with the ways they were portrayed in the media prior to their indictment, uh, I think that played a huge role on how the media actually covered or not their indictment and then the trial. Because uh, prior to the murder of Pavlos Fisas, which was the case that blew everything apart, golden donors were portrayed as patriots and as an authentic movement that was trying to help Greeks in their everyday struggles. A myth was created out of an imagery that was broadcasted through uh, mainstream media that after the indictment and after the Pavlos Fisas murder collapsed. So the media, as a result of all their, let's say, facilitating, enabling coverage prior to that, could not be depended on to cover the trial. 
Well, that's one thing. And the other thing is that lots of the media didn't think that the trial was going to be sexy as an issue to report on. They didn't see it as a chance for democracy to, you know, reestablish its ground as a chance for the people to understand what's going on with such a far-right Nazi group. They saw it as as a, a occasional drama. Like when the Golden Dawn MPs and members of Golden Dawn got arrested, there was a huge show for two or three days on the television uh, with Golden Dawn MPs with handcuffs going in and out of judicial buildings and uh, cop cars. And all of a sudden, all these outlets that were portraying them as patriots, now they were portraying them as the new criminal circus of Greece. We were talking about the biggest trial of the Nazi party after the Nuremberg trials. And they, they wouldn't even admit that. Because in the core of Golden Dawn's ideology was a set of elements that could recognize in their own selves, in the mind of the medium Greek citizen, that exceptionalism, that a bit of a racism, the, the great history that Greece has in nationalism, all these things created like a, a bubble that the media didn't want to go in and break it. Right. So let's take a step back for a minute. It's 2015, Greece. We've got the trial of a neo-Nazi party, which is something unprecedented. They're being tried for murder, for being a criminal organization, among other charges. And you've got a media that is simply not up to the task of following the trial and making sure that the public are very aware of the momentous nature of this trial and how important every twist and turn is for democracy, for the legacy of this awful thing which has happened in Greece. As a grassroots journalist and digital marketing expert, what's your solution to this? Considering that formations like Golden Dawn use two different imageries, two different ways of speaking and, and narrating what they want or what they do, one narrative was that they were popular uh, nationalists, they were patriots, they were trying to help. And below that, the national socialist narrative with all the things that I said before, the oaths under the Wehrmacht flag, the recruiting of young people, the military style, violence and so on. I thought that uh, we need to put a light in the second part of their narrative. So initiatives got together that were from the biggest part of the political spectrum in Greece, leftists, uh, anarchists, centrists, socialists, and said that we need to cover the trial. So all these people created the observatory for the trial of Golden Dawn. That was called Golden Dawn Watch. And its main goal was to disseminate information and to broadcast almost in real time what was being said in the courtroom through social media and web channels. Some people listening might be wondering, okay, well, how do you do that? Where do you start? What are the mechanics of putting together that kind of an operation? Because I, I would imagine that you need people to go and sit in the trial because it's not being televised, this trial. No, it's not. There is not the national interest through the media that there ought to be, which is precisely the problem. So you need a team of people to listen in and then you need people to transcribe it and then you need someone who can actually put that together into a compelling and interesting narrative and put it out there, distribute. So all of this takes time, money, resources, energy. How, how do you do that? Almost half of these five years, it, it's been run by volunteers. 
the initiatives that began and founded the Golden Dawn was. Sometimes these organizations fund the initiative of the observatory. There are three distinctive teams on the Golden Dawn Watch Observatory. One team is the team of lawyers. They observe what's going on. They take turns in each trial day. They put information online. They try to convey whatever is going on almost real time. The other team is the back office team that takes what the lawyers are listening to and corrects it and confirms it through their archives and then disseminated through social media, Twitter and Facebook, the, the official social media of the observatory. And the third team is the editorial team. We are taking this information, we create a webcast each week. So in that way, we have a complete dissemination each week and each month on what's going on in the trial. The trial is not every single day, right? It's not, you know, 1500 days of trial here. We're looking at... We uh, are looking at something like 10 to 13 trial days per month. And in terms of text, each trial day has a 40 to 80 A4 pages per proceedings day. And at the end of every day, you and the editorial team have to distill all of that content into a video which lasts, what, half an hour, 45 minutes? Sometimes 45 minutes, sometimes one hour, one and a half hour. We've done webcasts that were two, two and a half hours. We had guests from the civil persecution. We had witnesses that were already testified in the stand and came afterwards to our webcast to share their experience. You mentioned earlier that one of the reasons that the media didn't really want to cover this is because it's not sexy enough for them and the greek legal process is quite a slow moving thing how do you address that challenge and keep the interest to begin with i'm not sure if i'm keeping the interest <laughs> the the issue here is uh, to combine visual elements of the case file all the the things that were proving the charges with actually what was going on in the courtroom. Like when they were examining one of the cases, I would put out videos that were confiscated from the hard disks of the defendants of that case in order for the people to understand what was being discussed in the trial when one lawyer was saying that in that video you, Mr. Defendant, said that or did that. So I tried to combine these things for the people to understand. You said before that you're not sure that you're having an impact. And I would ask you, with an activist project of this depth, I mean, it's a very long-term thing, but it's also a very single-issue campaign. What are your metrics to understand when you're making a difference? We need to think about impact in two different ways. The impact that we are going to have in the present time that the trial goes on and the impact that is going to be happening in the future. For the first part, we have some benchmarks on digital communications in terms of time and viewers and conversion rates and so on. We never fall under 100 to 120 people on the real-time uh, uh, broadcast, and sometimes we've reached three or 400 people, and uh, more than two to 3,000 views when we upload the video. And that's, that's really important. We are talking about a webcast that exceeds 45 to 60 minutes. 
These are numbers that people in the digital communications area know they're non-existing. So we can see that we have an impact through the years for the present time. But for the future, we don't know what the impact is going to be because you don't have any other coverage for these uh, proceedings elsewhere. To what extent are you infiltrating the narrative in Greece and beyond with the content that you're putting out? Because those people that, that you quoted me, I mean, you've got 100, 120 people now watching these one-hour webcasts, which is considerable. I mean, they're really glued to it. Those could be very influential people who could also be carrying that message to wider audiences. Or they could just be observers who would rather tune into Golden Dawn Watch than watch a soap on television. Is there any way of distinguishing? First of all, I think it's the, the, the impact that I see with people that I meet in various events. People are coming up to me and they're saying, I saw the show last Friday and uh, keep up the good work. That's, that's one thing, but you cannot measure that. And there's, there's another thing that I've seen, well, mostly in the digital sphere, people answering to far-right accounts and profiles with material and narratives from the show, providing the counter-narrative of the actual defense narrative. On that note, when it comes to counter-narratives, one of the most important principles is to show rather than tell. And in the case of these lawyers uh, prosecuting Golden Dawn, all of that evidence is, is being shown. So how opinionated are you in these shows that you're putting together? Do you try to kind of put that down and let the evidence tell the story itself? Or do you find it very hard to resist injecting your own opinion into this, which of course is very against Golden Dawn and hopes that they're not acquitted? Of course, it's really hard to not be opinionated in front of a, a national socialist party. Okay, History has shown what happened to the people that were not so opinionated. But we are in a legal procedure. We have defendants that have rights, and I cannot deny that. Okay, I cannot deny the way justice works, even if it's not as I would like it to be. Because I need to accept the way justice works uh, in order to participate in the debate. I put a really big effort not to be so opinionated. I try to have a balance in terms of they have the right to say whatever they want. The judicial system is not against them, it's not trying them in terms of their ideology. It's trying them in terms of their crimes. But there's a twist on that. On the indictment, it's being said really, really clear that the major motive of their crimes is their ideology and the way that they try to convey that message through violence. So all these things, I need to have it in everything that I do uh, regarding Golden Dawn Watch and the trial, I have to have it always under my consideration. Not easy, but I need to do that. But also, isn't it important for what you just said, the impact of this record in the future, this record that you're creating with Golden Dawn Watch, because this is the only record, really, of this trial, right? So what you don't want is for people in five or ten years to be going through your material and saying, well, obviously these guys are all cherry-picking the facts, it's obviously a hit job, etc. <laughs> because then that will diminish the impact of the truth that you're presenting, won't it? Well, it depends who says that. 
Because on the part of the Golden Dome supporters, their bias, they cannot get over it. I don't care about that. I need people to understand what's going on in there, why they are getting tried. That, that's why I said the impact in the future, it's, it's not known right now. Let, let me put it in another way. Were Nuremberg trials biased? Good point. Okay, looking at the situation in Greece now, it's March 2020. There was a recent piece in The Guardian saying that the deep wells of anger that the neo-Nazis attempted to draw from has now dried up, implying that far-right ideology is no longer mainstream in Greece. Explain this to me. What's the picture today about far-right ideology in Greece? Well, first we have to understand that, as I said before, Greece has a huge history of nationalistic far-right ideology. Modern Greece was based on a thing called the big idea that was designed and implemented during the uh, 1920s and 30s. We are a bit like the Americans or the Israelis, like we feel for ourselves that we are exceptional. Our education has all that things inside it. It's something that lies deep inside the Greek culture and society. When crisis comes, all these elements are coming to the surface. It's like when the, the lake is dried up, you can see the skeletons in the bottom. But if Golden Dawn is no longer around, what will be the outlet? What will be the organizing force for all this nationalism and, and far-right sentiment? First of all, part of Golden Dawn's platform and ideology now is part of the government party's platform and ideology. The center-right new democracy government of Mitsotakis. Yes, yes. They have a really far-right flank that reproduces the narrative of Golden Dawn's. If we see Golden Dawn MPs' speeches into the parliament uh, on 2012 and 2013, they were talking about closed uh, migrant centers, mines in the borders, they were talking about fences. And now we hear all these things through the spokesman of the, the current government. And there's another thing. It's a new party from a guy that used to be in New Democracy. He created a party called Greek uh, Solution. He got into the parliament in the last elections, and he's the, the, he's the spokesman of the far-right elements that don't want to follow a center-right party. And is the violence, that politically motivated violence that you described earlier, is that element still present in the Greek streets? Now it gets a bit more dangerous because we saw in the past two weeks the same things, attacks on migrants, uh, uh, militias uh, in the night uh, looking for migrants and uh, people working for NGOs and so on. We saw that, not in the organized way that we used to seeing that in Golden Dawn's actions in the street, but we saw that from plain, ordinary uh, people, um, youth, and so on. What would you say to someone listening to this in their country who sees the far right on the rise and who, who wants to confront this? What would be the first step that you would advise them to take? Resources, points of contact, things that they can do that could make a difference in the short term? First of all, they should connect with other initiatives with people that have the same need for action, create teams and try to put down ideas. And then 
try to put some things in action, even if they are wrong. Connect, learn, information, trial and error. These are the, the steps for me. Are there any resources or international networks that you are aware of that would facilitate those kinds of connections you're describing that people should make? For example, in, in, in uh, Germany, there is NSU Watch, which actually was the base of the idea for Golden Dawn Watch. In the UK, there is Hope Not Hate, a great group. They, they are doing a great work on far right, uh, especially with the Brexit issues. In the US, we met some people called Unicorn Riot, and they had a huge success by putting online, leaking all the messages that were on the server dedicated to far-right groups in the US, and they leaked that. So we have actions. If someone wants to do stuff, he just needs to, you know, search a bit, connect and start trialing. Yeah, well, I think that touches on something really important with grassroots activism, that if you're looking to tackle a problem, your first step should be to go out there and see who else is tackling it and how best practice you can learn from and adapt instead of making it up as you go along. Okay, I think I have two more questions, actually, and, and these are personal. I first met you in 2011 at the Syntagma Square indignance protest. And you are quite a rare example of a citizen activist that has never stopped being active since then. What motivates you? Life is not only wake up, go to work, try and uh, hunt a salary or money or whatever, come back, sit on your couch and watch TV, die a bit, and then all over again the next morning. We need to understand that we can affect the things that are going on around us. And uh, in order to understand that, we need to try it. We need to attempt to influence. We need to attempt to do stuff, even if they're wrong. We need to tackle issues that are going to create a better tomorrow for everyone. We need to also defend rights and things that uh, humanity earned with blood and stressful situations. If we don't do that, who's going to do it? We have uh, institutions that are collapsing. We have no trust in politicians. We have no trust in the system. And so, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to just sit and watch. We are going to go nagging day by day, and that's going to be our life. No, I don't want uh, my life to be like that. I don't want to be, you know, the nagger saying that everything sucks. Okay, everything sucks. What can we do about it? Got it. Nice. Could you recommend two or three books that, are related to the kinds of topics that we're discussing. I will propose two, two different books, one for the big picture and one for activism. The first book that really affected me was uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. Every time I read it, I find something new. And uh, it gives me the big picture. And the other one, which is more focused, is Twitter and Tear Gas by Zeynep Tufekci. It focuses on the, on the square movement, uh, movements in Turkey, in Egypt, in Spain, in Greece, and provides you the image of, uh, yes, we can be active. We have tools in our hands that nobody had prior to our generations. We can use them to create change, to tackle issues that uh, concern us, to improve our world. Well, that's absolutely great. Really valuable stuff. Really interesting conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Theta Project, and I was talking to Adonis Buyas. 
If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is hello at theatreproject.co and the show notes are at www.theatreproject.co. See you next time. Thank you.